what is it about mysterious tales of murder that intrigues the mind? In October of 2017, Psychology Today had an article that said, quote, Killers are for adults what monster movies are for children. That is, scary fun. End quote. The author went on to say that their research revealed people with a fascination with murder claimed it to be a guilty pleasure. A tale of murder appeals to our instinctual need to survive. We want to understand, so that maybe we could, heaven forbid, avoid ending up as another cautionary tale. Or maybe it's just an adrenaline rush. Watching, listening, or reading someone else's misfortune leaves us as a sort of survivor. One who lives on to tell the tale. To pass on the wisdom we learned. To protect ourselves in whatever ways we can because of what we learned. As adults, we get some sort of strange enjoyment from flirting with fear. Even though it terrifies us. We like our minds to be challenged. Engaged by something we don't understand. No matter the reason for our curiosity, we all walk away feeling thankful we're alive. Perhaps that's the real reason we're interested in these dark, twisted tales. We want that surge of relief that our life is still safe. For now. Let's first hear the fiction, then we'll get to the facts. After all, isn't that how stories are typically told? I'm Vanessa K. Eccles, and this is Fabled. I saw her for the first time since I was three. Her dark hair was matted and her eyes were hazy and glazed. I tried to scream for her, Mama! But no one heard. I saw Grandpa standing nearby through ironclad gates. He was speaking to her. She almost responded but didn't. I looked back at him. He was still talking. That's when it happened. They let her fall. Her slender legs, stockings rolled down to her shoes, her dirty dress tattered at the edges, dangled a few feet from the ground as tears welled in my eyes. It was over. Again. When I woke, I ran my hand across the wet pillow. Grandpa, what happened to Mama? I asked over breakfast that morning. You don't need to know about that. You're too young, was all he'd ever say. I didn't think seven was too young. Grandma always told me I was a big girl and could do big girl chores. Grandma, what happened to my daddy? I asked later that day, believing that she wouldn't think I was too young to know. Go on and play with Betty Jo down the way, she shooed me. I immediately forgot to ask her anything more. My excitement to leave the house during the middle of the day, chore time, overcame my curiosity. I ran down to the creek and followed it along until I saw the gray smoke billowing from the rock chimney of Betty Jo's. As I approached the house, I saw her younger siblings playing in the dirt and the others scattered amongst the trees. Where's Betty Jo? I asked Andrew, the oldest. She don't want to see you no more, he said coldly. Why not? Because your parents went to hell and you're a bastard. He stepped closer to me in an effort of intimidation. What does that mean? I asked. He laughed and so did the others. I stood there humiliated and thought I might cry. Just as I was about to, they began chanting. Once upon a time in 1832, Lisa's mama paid her due. Blood for blood and money too. Why she killed him, no one knew. 
They roared with laughter. I had no idea what they were talking about. Just then, Betty Jo stepped outside through the cabin door. Y'all stop that, she yelled. But they didn't listen. With tears rolling down my cheeks, I started running back home. I couldn't help but play those words over and over again in my mind. Once upon a time in 1932, little Lisa's mama paid her due. Blood for blood and money, too. Why she killed him, no one knew. They were branded into my memory before I ever left her house. The afternoon mountain fog settled down into the trees, so I stuck closely to the creek in an effort not to get lost. Suddenly I could see her again. She was holding something and was standing only feet from me. Mama? Nothing. I watched her place a sack into a tree stump. I could hear her sobbing. Her dress was covered in blood. I shrieked in horror, but she didn't flinch. What are you doing, Mama? I cried. She was gone again. I sorrowfully took the Connors kids' chant and the vision of my bloodstained mother home with me, unable to turn off my tears. What the dickens is wrong with you, child? Grandma asked, and I wiped my face with her apron. I couldn't tell her. It was too terrible, and I didn't think I could get the words out. She sat me in front of the fireplace, went to the griddle, and cut me a slice of whole cake. Eat up, girl, she said. Grandma only gave me food before dinner on special occasions. She must have felt sorry for me. I hurriedly ate the cake and sat silently at the table, sniffling. Grandma went about her routine and began fixing dinner. She went from the table to the griddle, stirring the venison and vegetables. Fire flickered around the iron pot, giving off an orange glow. The room darkened. Large, gray clouds formed outside the window a storm. Glancing back at the fire, Mama stood where Grandma was only moments ago. She was sniffling, too, her swollen face pinked by the fire's warmth. Do it, he yelled. I turned to see who it was that yelled at her. Grandpa sat on the floor with blood all over him. He handed her a sack. Do it, Frankie. You have to. He went out hunting, and he just never came back, you hear? Grandpa told her as he gently grabbed her arms. Mama threw the sack into the fire, and we watched as the flames devoured it. Grandpa then handed her another one. Mama's tears had stopped. She stood emotionless, a dark blankness in her eyes that frightened me. The sack bled through the bottom, bright red drops splattering against the dusty floorboards. I shrieked for a second, but only a second Mama glanced at me. Don't, Mama! I cried. She tossed the sack in with the other one. We watched until almost nothing remained. Now take this out into the wild. Put it somewhere good. Somewhere an animal is likely to find it, Grandpa said, handing her another one. Mama stood there, frozen. Wake up! Grandpa yelled and slapped Mama across the face, waking her from her daze. Tears steadily flowed down her pink cheeks, but she wouldn't move. If you don't take care of this, I will kill you and your little bastard, Grandpa hissed. She was his, Mama said, pointing to the sack. I may be a lot of things, but a whore ain't one of them. Her voice quivered. She took the bag, walked out, and slammed the door. This was not my grandpa. This was an imposter. Why had she left me with him? Ma, get in here and clean up this mess, he yelled. Grandma heard him from outside and came in carrying a bucket of water. She then got a rag and calmly scrubbed the floorboards. I watched as my grandpa rinsed the blood off his arms and face in the chipped white basin. He then cleaned the axe and propped it up against the wall. 
He took a seat, stretched out his legs, and waited. I watched the steady motion of Grandma's hands working the stain off the floor until Mama returned. She looked mad, brows furrowed and lips pressed tight, but she didn't do anything. She took her seat across the table from me. I watched and tried to catch her eyes, but she never looked my way. Get up, Ma. It's time for us to go. Remember what I told you, girl, Grandpa said, taking Mama's chin in his hands. She snatched it away and turned from him. Don't forget to bring me the deed when this is all said and done. We're going to sell this trash and start over out west. It'll be good for all of us. You keep that in mind. His voice softened, but Mama's gaze didn't. The fire cracked. I turned to look at it and saw Grandma with the poker. She shifted the burning wood. I gasped. What's the matter? She asked curiously, her eyes on mine. Nothing, I whispered, realizing everything was normal again. I think it's time for more wood. Go get me some, she told me. I did as I was told. Late afternoon had settled in, skies still promising a storm. I couldn't help but look for Grandpa. My eyes now opened to another side of him, but he wasn't around. He'd probably gone hunting. I grabbed the wood, carefully stacking it under my arm, and loaded it inside. Is my daddy dead? I asked Grandma while stuffing the wood in the fire. What's gotten into you today? If you don't stop asking questions like that, I'm going to tell your Grandpa. He will wear your hide for talking like that, she snapped. I nodded. I knew she was right. Grandpa didn't whip me often, but when he did, it was never worth whatever mischief I'd been doing. I helped her keep the pot stirred and then swept the floors. I kept searching for the marks on the floor where all the blood had been, but I didn't see anything. Grandma had always told me I had an overactive imagination. Maybe she was right. Grandpa came in at dark, just like he had thousands of times before. We sat at the table, and Grandma served us the fiddles. We ate in silence like we always did. Grandpa insisted on a quiet house. Lisa has been asking curious questions all afternoon about her mama and daddy. I've had just about enough, Grandma snitched. I looked at her angrily, but surprisingly, Grandpa didn't say anything. He just kept right on eating. After we all were finished, Grandma took the dishes to the bucket and began to wash them. I walked past Grandpa, who was sitting in his chair. Without warning, he snatched my arm and started hitting me with his bald fist. What did I tell you about asking them kind of questions, girl? Didn't I tell you that you were too young, huh? With each blow, I cried out in pain. Look at me, he said after four or five blows. Reluctantly, I met his eyes. I don't like to hit you. Don't make me like this. Don't mention your mama or daddy again, you hear? He said sternly. I nodded body quivering. Go on to bed. I hurried up the ladder and into the loft. I buried my face deep into the pillow and continued to cry until I couldn't anymore. I listened to Grandpa rock and Grandma clean until I finally fell asleep. I scooted to the edge of the loft and peeked over. She was rocking in the same chair that Grandpa was earlier. She held a little girl in her arms. Grandma stood over the fire baking something. She's been a good baby, ain't she? Grandma asked. She has been, Mama answered. Without looking up, her eyes focused on the child. Grandpa and another man walked into the house. They placed a squirrel and rabbit on the table. I ain't selling my land. That's all there is to it, the man said as he took off his hat. It was my daddy. Even after all this time, I recognized him. His wide jaw and slender figure, he was a beanpole just like me. 
We can make more money out west, and we'll get a fresh start. It'll do both of you good. Maybe it'll get you away from that crowd you've been hanging around, Grandpa said. It won't do no good, Pa. He'll just find more drunkards to pal with out west and spend all our money there, too, Mama said as she placed the child into bed. Don't talk about me like that, woman, Daddy snarled and took a swig from his canteen. Grandpa snatched it and took a whiff. What is wrong with you, boy? You're nothing but a good-for-nothing, Grandpa said. Get the hell out of my house, Daddy snapped. Don't you talk to them like that. They're my family, Mama added. Grandma and Grandpa headed toward the door. While Mama and Daddy fussed, Grandpa grabbed the axe that was propped against the wall and headed toward Daddy like a locomotive. I woke up sweating. With tears streaming down my face, the house was silent. Moonlight bled in through the windows and settled on a single object. I took it. I opened their door and looked at them, warm and snuggled next to each other in their bed. Two swings was all it took. Pa told me to die with it in me, the secret, the truth, but it didn't die with me, and it won't die with her. The truth never dies. According to history, Frankie Stewart Silver was born in 1814 and died July 12, 1833. She was hanged in Burke County, North Carolina for the murder of her husband, Charles Silver. The motive for her murder is unclear, but there are several theories. It's believed that her husband may have beaten her, and the Yaks murder was an act of self-defense. It's also possible that she was jealous of some affair that her husband may have been having. Another theory, and the one I've chosen to write about here, is that she and her family wanted to move out west but needed Charles to sell his property to do it, but he refused to leave. Getting rid of him, they'd obtain the deed and sell it themselves. Frankie never confessed to the murder and never discussed any sort of motive. Before she could be hanged, her brother and father broke her out of jail, but they were all later apprehended. When asked if she had any last words, her father yelled from the crowd, Die with it in you, Frankie. This leads people to believe that her father may have, or in my opinion, most likely, took part in the killing. Evidence at the family cabin revealed that Charles' body was indeed burned. Charles and Frankie's real daughter, Nancy, was only 13 months old at the time. Frankie is believed to be the first white woman to have been executed in Burke County. Fabled is produced by me, Vanessa K. Eccles. If you enjoyed this podcast, you may also enjoy my books. For more information, please visit fablecollective.com and follow us on social media at Fable Collective. Thank you for listening.